Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Hey, Vanguard, Pastor Kerry here. One of the things that you've probably heard on the news this spring during the coronavirus pandemic is, and typically you hear it after an uplifting human interest story, and it, it's something, some quote like this, it's a cliche. You know, the tough times bring out the best in people. And while I think that's all well and good, uh, the pressure that this pandemic has put on people in our country has also brought out the worst in them, too. And by worst, I mean some of the foolish arguments that have taken place in stores, on social media, uh, talk shows, and the riots that we're seeing on the news this past week. Well, thankfully, God's Word has practical counsel and wisdom for us to use when we, as Christ followers, disagree. Now, let's pause for a moment and ask the Lord to help us understand and apply His Word to our hearts. Would you join me as I begin with prayer? Heavenly Father, our hearts are heavy uh, as we pause right now. They're heavy for our country, our nation. As we watch riots on TV in response to George Floyd's tragic death, Lord, this seems like the last thing we needed in our nation right now on top of the pandemic we are already dealing with this year. Lord, would you please bring peace to our our country and give wisdom to our leaders and Would you bring appropriate justice for those involved with Mr. Floyd's death? And certainly, Lord, would you comfort his family and in ways that only you can know and only you can understand, would you work all things together for good? Thank you, Lord, for your timeless word and the wisdom that you've provided in it. Would you please use your word today to shine a light into our own hearts so that we can see how we need to change in order to reduce the number of foolish arguments we engage in. And Lord, please, would you help us to identify any logs in our own eyes instead of looking for the specks in others. In Jesus' precious name I pray, amen. Well, I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Romans chapter 14. And um, as you turn there, let me just share a few examples from recent headlines on why I think this topic of disagreement is really important to address from the scriptures. Um, For example, this past week, there was a viral video that was circulating around the internet and it made news headlines and it showed a mask-wearing group of shoppers at a New York grocery store shouting and cursing at a lone customer not wearing a mask. Eventually, the vilified customer was forced to leave the store. I'm sorry, I 
I don't mean to make light of it. It was sad to watch. I just kind of chuckle a little bit because it, at the same time, while it was sad, it was also kind of, I, I found myself going, are you kidding me? <laughs> Here's another one. There was another video that made headlines this past week and it went viral involving a female protester outside the Ohio State House. And this protester was accosting a female TV reporter who was wearing a mask. The protester was not, the reporter was wearing a mask. And the unmasked protester was allegedly upset at the reporter for inciting fear by wearing a mask. And she accused the reporter's TV station of lying to the American people. Uh, and during the heated confrontation, the reporter's glasses were knocked off her face and broken. And of course, you heard me mention this past week uh, in last week's video that even amongst Protestant evangelicals, there, there is division on the severity versus the triviality of the coronavirus. Uh, some believers are thankful that our government intervened and took steps to implement a, a lockdown in order to try and stop the spread of the virus. And then there are other believers who are resentful that our government intervened and, and shut down the nation during the virus as the virus spread to keep it from spreading further. And that group of believers feels like our rights were violated, our rights to gather and worship and express freedom of religion. And so all those things were causing me to think this week that, you know, the church is called to be different than the world. And as Christ followers, we've been called out of the world into the Lord's church to show that among other things, there's a better way to do life. There's a better way to do relationships, and there's a better way to disagree. That's why the first point on your outline is this. Number one, it is God's will that we avoid foolish arguments. It is God's will that we avoid foolish arguments. Paul's, letter to the, Paul's letters to the Corinthians, the Philippians, and the Ephesians all contain warnings that unnecessary conflict was not to be tolerated in the Lord's church. And so his letters also, interestingly, to Timothy and Titus also included warnings urging Timothy, who was the pastor at Ephesus, and Titus, who was the overseer or pastor at the churches on the island of Crete, both those pastors were told by Paul in letters written to them to not tolerate foolish arguments in the church. And so this, of course, raises the question, why does the Lord want us to avoid foolish arguments? So here's letter A on your outline, and it's this because they do great harm to the church. Because they do great harm to the church. In, in its context, 2 Timothy chapter 2 has to do with false teachers who were leading naive church members astray by overanalyzing microscopic details in the scriptures 
and then twisting them to say things that God did not intend to say. Uh, now, although First and Second Timothy are primarily written to pastors, and Timothy in particular, who was the pastor at Ephesus, as I mentioned earlier, it's still, it's still God's Word, and it still applies to all Christ followers. And so, uh, now, in order to prevent this video from going too long, and I wanted to be sensitive to time, I've provided the Bible text for both these subpoints on your handout for you, so we don't have to take time to look them up. But I do really want to encourage you to look them up later and, and highlight them in your Bible like I have mine. So having said that, uh, follow along with me as I read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, and then 23 to 25 off of your handout. Paul says, remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. In verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. And verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance. Now, one way that foolish arguments harm the church can be seen in verse 14. Paul says it ruins the faith of the fighters and the listeners. It also ruins, or at least at a minimum, damages their relationships. Because immature sheep tend to herd together with other sheep who share their same opinions. Whereas they then also avoid sheep who don't share their same opinions. That's not what God intended to have happen in His church. Paul instead tells us in verse 15 that we should invest our energies into learning God's Word. He calls it the Word of Truth, because that's what we should be fighting for if there's a fight that has to take place. And God's Word is what we should be united around and, 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 and focusing on. Notice then in verse 16, Paul goes on to say that such arguments can lead some to backslide in their pursuit of godliness. And that's certainly not good. Now, I want to make a clarification here. Paul is not saying, he's not saying all conflict should be avoided. In fact, there are some conflicts in the church that are necessary. Uh, specifically those related to protecting the gospel, uh, correcting bad doctrine, confronting divisiveness or sin, uh, protecting the witness of the church, and, and much more. And so conflict is necessary at times, but what Paul is saying is that it, it's supposed to be on the basis of God's Word to, to correct something that's not being done or to or to correct someone who needs to start doing something that God's Word commands. And that's why I think Paul says in verse 25, 
how correction should take place. Notice he says, with, with gentleness, in hopes that the person who's caught in sin or spreading false doctrine will come to repentance. And that's important. You see the word repentance there in verse 25. Only people that are sinning need to repent. We don't need to repent for having a, a different opinion, okay? So here's another reason why the Lord wants us to avoid foolish arguments. And it's, this is letter B on your outline, because it's a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of immaturity. Um, Paul wrote in his letter to Titus, um, Titus, you may remember me mentioning a minute ago, he was stationed on the island of Crete, which is a, a Mediterranean island off the coast of Greece, where there, was a, there were a handful of church plants already up and running. And so Paul left Titus there to clean up those church plants. Uh, word had gotten back to Paul that you know, there were, they, they were getting raucous. They, there were some issues in those church plants. And so um, this was a tough assignment for Titus because Cretans were known for being liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Uh, until Titus got there, the Cretans were known for their tendency to argue and fight with each other more than they were known for their witness for Christ. And so, uh, follow along me as, as I read Titus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, and then verse 9. Uh, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. And then verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. Now you might be wondering, what is a foolish argument? I'm so glad you asked. A foolish argument, I think it's, it's a heated disagreement that has no eternal value and no grounding in God's Word. Let me say that again. It's a heated disagreement that has no eternal value or grounding in God's Word. Generally speaking, foolish arguments are a fruit of pride. They are fueled by the desire to prove why we are right and someone else is wrong. Foolish arguments create division over subjective issues in place in a place where the Lord wants there to be unity around His objective truth. Of course, I'm referring to the church. Now, such arguments are usually over issues not found in God's Word and related to things that won't matter in 10 years. And this is why Proverbs 18.2 says, Fools! Fools! And by the way, Fools are nowhere in Proverbs referred to as a good example to follow. They're not a model for behavior. They're, they were what not to be like, according to Solomon. But fools, Proverbs 18.2, they find no pleasure in understanding, but they delight. They delight in sharing their own opinions. Well, let's pause the video here and talk about this discussion question for a minute. What are some examples of foolish arguments that you've seen in your own home or school or maybe place of work. Talk about that for a minute and I'll be right back.
Now, point number one raises a good question. If engaging in foolish arguments is not God's will for His church, then how, how do we avoid them? And this brings us to point number two on your outline. Point number two, here it is. Foolish arguments can be avoided by using discernment. Foolish arguments can be avoided by using discernment. Discernment is the, it's the ability to distinguish or discriminate between two or more options. Uh, for example, in Romans 12, verse 2, Paul calls on believers to discern the will of God. Uh, in Ephesians 5.10, he urges the Ephesian believers to discern what is pleasing to God. And in Philippians uh, chapter 1, verse 9, he prays that we would grow, abounding more and more in our discernment. Uh, the word discernment always makes me think of parting or cutting through thick brush in a jungle in order to make a path. Or maybe choosing one path when there's a fork in the road. That's what I think of when I think of discernment. Now, if you would, uh, you've got your Bibles open to Romans chapter 14. Read, uh, follow along with me, excuse me, as I read Romans 14 verse 1. Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Not to quarrel over opinions. Here's letter A on your outline. Maturing believers are flexible with their opinions. They are flexible with their opinions. In Romans chapter 14, just to give you a little bit of context of what's going on here, Paul is he's dis dispensing some much-needed instruction to a divided church in Rome. You see, Gentile believers were clashing with Jewish believers, both of them were new believers, both groups, and they were clashing over what kind of diet was appropriate for the believer and which day was to be the Lord's day for worship. Now, in the 21st century, these aren't controversial issues for us, but back then, in the first century, these two issues were were causing division in the church. They were causing a lot of strife in arguing. So Paul says, don't quarrel over opinions here. Well, what's an opinion? We need to define that. And so here's a quick definition for you. An opinion is a belief based on personal preference and emotion instead of proven fact or objective truth. You know, it's a belief based on personal preference and emotion instead of proven fact or objective truth. We can avoid having foolish arguments by having fewer opinions and keeping the few that we have to ourselves until we are asked to share them. And then when we're asked if it's appropriate, we can share them, we should share them with humility. You know, such as, this is just my personal opinion, you know, or I could be wrong. I know I often am, and I often am but I think, you know, X, Y, Z. I'm still learning in this area, but here's, here's what I would say right now. But, you know, my, my feelings on this could change 
in a week or next year as I continue to grow in my walk with the Lord. So we can avoid foolish arguments by having fewer opinions and keeping the few opinions that we do have to ourselves until we're asked to share them. Now, if you would turn with me to 2 Timothy, I want to show you another important passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you would, as you turn there, let me read uh, verses 3. I'm sorry, chapter 3. We need to go to chapter 3. Apologize. And I'm going to read verses 14 to 17. So 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17. Uh, Follow along with me, me, if you would, as I read. Paul, writing to Timothy, again, the young pastor, his protege, who's in Ephesus. But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned... And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Okay, here's... uh, Letter B on your outline. Maturing believers are biblical with their convictions. Maturing believers are biblical with their convictions. Timothy grew up in a Christian home in which his mother and grandmother were believers. They taught him the scriptures and led him to faith in Christ. And then what happened was the Apostle Paul mentored him in the faith and trained him to be a pastor. Paul is reminding Timothy here in these verses that the teaching he received from his mother and grandmother was based on truth and that the sources he got the truth from were reliable and trustworthy as well. Another way to say verse 14, I think, would be this. Hold tightly, Timothy, to your convictions. But then this raises a question, well, what is a conviction? Here's a quick definition. It's it's a strong belief based on proven fact and objective truth. A strong belief based on proven fact and objective truth. For the Christ follower, a, a conviction is that which can be proven from the objective truth of God's Word. And our final authority as believers, God's Word. So, we need to use discernment in order to know what's worth fighting for and what's not worth fighting for. We we need to separate our opinions from our convictions so that we can tell the difference. And that will then help us discern when we need to engage in conflict and when we need to just avoid conflict. Now, again... A clarification here that's important for me to make. Godly Christ followers don't avoid conflict at all costs. Instead, they pick their battles. We can sin by rolling over on biblical convictions, and we can sin by fighting over personal opinions. And so, again, it takes discernment to know the difference. So, If engaging in foolish arguments is not God's will for His church, then how else can we avoid them? 
Well, this brings us to point number three on your outline. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles back to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. Turn back there, if you would, and then uh, let me just give you some context and some background on Acts as you're turning there. The book of Acts is a, I like to call it a documentary, written by Luke that describes how the gospel spread to the rest of the world after Jesus ascended into heaven. At the end of chapter 15, I'm going to read a few verses here in just a second, uh, Paul wanted he and Barnabas to circle back and encourage some churches that they had visited on their first missionary journey together. One of the men who accompanied Paul and Barnabas on that missionary trip was a man named John Mark. He was sort of a spiritual apprentice being groomed by Paul and Barnabas. And for reasons we're not told, this young man abruptly quit that missions trip and decided to go home. It's also worth mentioning that John Mark was the cousin of Barnabas. Now, if you would follow along with me as I read Acts chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Here's number three on your outline. Foolish arguments can be prevented by exercising wisdom. Foolish arguments can be prevented by exercising wisdom. Wisdom is simply the skillful application of God's Word to our daily lives. It's, it's taking all that we've learned from the Word and appropriately applying it to the different situations and scenarios and relationships that come up in our lives. There are two words in this passage that tell us this disagreement was more than just a playground spat. Um, I've got them underlined in my Bible. I would encourage you to underline or highlight them in yours. It's in verse 39. It says there arose a sharp disagreement. A sharp disagreement. The Greek word that Luke uses here uh, gives us some more insight into what was really going on. Uh, it's the verb paroxymos. Uh, it, it means to provoke or to stir up or arouse. It's the same word we get the English word paroxysm from, which uh, that word paroxysm means a sudden emotion or action, uh, an outburst. Uh, it suggests that these two godly, seasoned ministry leaders really went at it. I mean, I, I envision if I was there seeing Paul and Barnabas going, Oh, yeah, well, you know what? Oh, yeah, well, you! And really getting fired up 
and feeling strongly about their two positions that they were taking. Now let's pause the video here once again, and I'd like you to talk about this next discussion question, uh, and it's this. What are some reasons Paul might have given for leaving John Mark behind? And then I'd like you to also talk about what are some reasons that Barnabas might have argued for taking John Mark with? Talk about that for a minute, and I'll be right back. Here's, here's a few uh, ideas that came to my mind. Paul might have argued, look, John Mark is unreliable, inexperienced, the journey's too dangerous, and we need to think with our heads here. Whereas Barnabas might have argued, and possibly being biased a little bit because this is a family member of his, you know, John Mark got homesick, and he's got great potential. The journey's a great learning opportunity for him. And we need to feel with our hearts, Paul. We need to have a heart here for the guy. We need to cut him a break. Now, because Paul and Barnabas could not reach an agreement on this issue, they exercised wisdom by choosing, just to use the old cliche, they, they chose to divide and conquer. And God used it for good. Now, there were two missionary teams instead of one. And now Silas got to be mentored by Paul instead of just John Mark. However, sometimes separation is not an option. And in some cases, it may even be unbiblical. For example, husbands and wives who are married or kids who are too young to move out on their own. So... What should we do when there are scriptures on both sides of the argument to support both sides? And yet we still can't agree. What do we do? Here's three wisdom principles that I have found helpful and I, I hope will help you when you're in a situation like that. So this would be subpoints A, B, and C on your outline. Um, first of all, letter A, defer to the person with the most skin in the game. Now, skin in the game is, of course, a cliche that refers to the person who has the most to lose, who will be affected the most, or is most vested in the decision. And this allows us, by doing this, it allows us to put the needs of others before our own, as Paul says in Philippians 2.4, and it allows us to show courtesy or consideration to others, as he wrote in Titus 3.2. Now, if letter A doesn't work, then do letter B, which is defer to the person with the most expertise. For example, if the disagreement is about finances, then defer to the person with more experience or training in dealing with money. Or if it's about computers, uh, then defer to the person who has more experience with computers. This allows us to consider others better than ourselves, as Paul said in Philippians 2.3. And it also prevents us from thinking too highly of ourselves, as Paul said in Romans 12.3. Well, if letter B doesn't work, then do letter C. Uh, 
Uh, letter C is to defer to the person in authority. If the disagreement is between parent and child, then the child should yield to their parents, as Ephesians 6.1 says. If it's between a husband and a wife, then the wife should yield to her husband, as Ephesians 5.22 says. If it's between a supervisor and an employee, obviously the employee should yield to the supervisor, as 1 Peter 2.18 says. One of the many reasons that the Lord has put authority structures in place is to prevent disagreements from escalating to damaging and destructive arguments. That's important for us to remember. Well, let's talk about application. Here's, here's two that come to mind. And again, I want, I want to encourage you, as I always do, to ask the Lord if he's got a personal application for you in your life and where you are in your situation. Uh, but here's, here's number one. First application, study and learn God's Word. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait a minute. Didn't you use that application last week? Yes, I did. And here's why I'm using it again. As I have grown in my own knowledge of the Scriptures over the years, and I'm still growing, I'm still learning, by the way, the number of biblical convictions that I have has increased... And the number of opinions I have has decreased. And that's been good. It's been real good for me. Learning God's Word is so helpful in this particular scenario when there's disagreements because if we don't know what we're supposed to fight for, we'll end up fighting for the wrong things, such as our opinions and personal preferences. Here's application number two. Second application that comes to mind, and that is keep God's glory and the gospel the main thing. Keep God's glory and the gospel the main thing. In Romans 14, 20, you know, back in Romans 14, which we looked at earlier, later in, in the passage, uh, after Paul tells the Roman believers to stop fighting about opinions, he says this, Do not... For the sake of food, destroy the work of God. In other words, he was saying to them, don't tear down for the sake of opinions what God has built, meaning his church. It's not worth it. Sometimes, you know, it's wise to ask ourselves as we feel ourselves getting into an argument, that's foolish. We need to ask, is this battle worth damaging my marriage or my friendship or my small group or my relationship with my boss over? And one way that we can help discern the answer to that question is, is by keeping the focus on God's glory and the gospel message. And by doing that, as Paul was reminding the Romans to do, we show the world that there is something better and something bigger that is worth fighting for. And the gospel and God's glory is way better to fight for than personal preferences and opinions. So, is it ever okay to disagree? Yeah. In fact, it's inevitable when 
whenever you get two, two or more sinners together. It's going to happen. But what's critical is how we disagree and what we disagree on. And there's a quote from the early church father, Augustine, that has helped many exercise discernment and wisdom on these issues. And the, the quote reads like this, In the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. Well, I just want to thank those of you who have supported the ministry of Vanguard by uh, giving online and you've kept your giving as part of your worship. Um, if you are able to continue supporting the ministry of Vanguard, I want to encourage you to visit the Give page on our website for our online giving options. We're working right now, by the way, on a plan and we're working with the school district on a plan to reopen and resume our public worship services. So please continue to keep that in your prayers. I'll let you know as soon as we've got a plan in place and a date for reopening set. I'm looking forward to seeing all of you again soon. Until then, I hope you have a blessed week and thanks for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.